The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleina Hour. The power of water worldwide on our planet Earth. You know, it's kind of fun to say planet Earth because we're all together on this. But the fascination is what has happened since the 1900s is individuals around the world do not make the priority of water the way they did so far back. They made a priority of water way back in time until about the early 1900s, and then all of a sudden it began to diminish. Many years ago when I was asked, soon eight, would you like to have your own radio show? And I said, yes, I'm going to call it the power of water and bring that focus back. And I know it can be done. We can do it. We're going to bring the focus back to the planet Earth. Without water, there is no life. And I don't really enjoy seeing. We're not so smart, all of us, allowing the, the soil, the living species of soil, to turn to a microorganism of less microorganisms of life of sand. We can't live that way. We've got to have soil. But Earth began... Billions of years ago, estimated 14 billion years ago, with a circle of blue around the whole planet Earth living with the solar system. That means there was life to water. The microorganism was in the atmosphere of water vapor, water. It surrounded the Earth. And then all of a sudden came water. The raindrops began to drop and there became water to to the planet Earth. Fresh water. A recycling began of Earth recycling the atmosphere's water vapor to fresh water on the surface, and life began with soil. Life began with other species, and look where we're at today. Billions of years later. Millions of years later with water. Fresh water. What keeps you alive is the atmosphere. Now, I want you to follow me. And I'm going to say this every single show forever. Your body is a recycling of water. The miracle of all of it. Every living species you look at outside is a water species. Everything is kept alive because of water. But your body, everybody's body, is made up of water. What are your symptoms of disease? Dehydration caused diseases. Now, this is why. The atmosphere brought all life to earth through water. The atmosphere that's invisible, water in the air, you don't see, but it is there, or you would not be alive. Now, 
the brain is 80 to 85% water, but then in the womb of the mother's water, in the mother's tummy, that water, that body of the baby's body begins to formulate a new shape, species origination of nature. The eyes are formed and the brain connects to the eyes at the same moment. The surface of the eye is 99% water. The brain is 80 to 85% water. So what is the relationship to dehydration, body, water, moisture, evaporation, loss? Is water. Lungs, 75 to 80% water. Now, I was talking to some Chinese scientists recently, and they're really worried about the lungs in China because of the water content. The lungs are your, your filter system. Now, the eyes, when the baby opens in that its eye in that delivery room, and then all of a sudden that new baby is no longer around water, embellished in water for, for like it was for those months. It's living in the atmosphere of water to keep it alive. That's nature's recycling to keep you alive. But those lungs in the body, you've got the eyes, they're 99% water at the surface. That's your vision. That's the electrolytic ability for you to see, like a battery operates, like all electrolytic charges. Your eyes are charging with the atmosphere's water vapor. Behind the eyes is 80 to 85% water in the brain to give you the backup and to help recharge that like a battery operates. You're a walking electrolytic charge like a battery. That moisture in the air keeps you alive. But in the body, you have lungs to do the filter system. You must have an adequate amount of water inside to relate to the water outside the body to keep recharging and recycling. The skin, 75, 70 to 75% water. Well, of course, it's common sense. No different on earth is living. You've got the surface of your earth. You've got the internal earth with the aquifers below. But the atmosphere is a relationship to everything that is kept alive above that surface. Blood, 50% water. Teeth, 8 to 9 to 10% water. Your heart, of course. 75 to 80% water, your bones, like your teeth. I bet you never thought your bones, water. Bones, 20 to 25% water. Kidneys, 80 to 85% water. Muscles, 70 to 75% water. What are we living with? It's the moment you were born, you entered in the delivery room, you began to live with the atmosphere's water vapor to keep you alive and keep you recycled keep you replenished, keep you flexible, keep you detoxified with that. Let's just call it that manure coming from inside the body, out of the body, and to recycle itself, to keep you cleansed. It's water, fresh water. Now, what is our priority on the planet? The challenges we've ran into, it isn't fresh water number one any longer. We're going to change that. We want it to be the priority of the planet Earth. I just got back from China, and they're making the priority. Even though we all have our challenges on our earth with our pollution and our air because of the industrial revolutions that every country has and every country's trying to get through keeping jobs for everybody and keep the bread on the table and water on the table, but we're having to learn something, all of us together. If without the fresh water and clean and safe and the atmosphere being healthy, diseases are going to be out of control out of control. You must, 
every day have five things. Number one, you need to learn how to breathe in with the nose, breathe out with the mouth, and breathe that atmosphere. It's vital to your whole cycle of replenishing and recycling of moisture in and out. Number two, you must drink eight to ten glasses of water a day. Water with no added ingredients to block absorption. It's vital to keep the solution of the water going through the body to keep you cleansed and keep replenishing. It's vital. Number three, nutrition. We're learning through technology research. Nutrition, dark green vegetables, fruits, keep away from the sugar. Diabetes diabetes is out of control. Other diseases out of control. It's all linked back to more sugar than we need. We don't need all that sugar. It turns into manure in the body. The other one is moderate exercise, number four. Moderate. If you're an athlete, you can have your excessive exercise, but try to find new ways to moderately slow down after you've been excessively trying to keep in training. Moderate. Number five, sleep. Earth goes to sleep, and it's billions of years. Go to sleep well. Learn how to sleep correctly. Don't just sleep because you want to sleep. Learn how you can personally sleep. Always remember there's no two eyes alike, no two fingerprints alike. GMOs are different. Uh, Everything is different. Everything is different in life. You are that unique. I'm that unique. Take it serious. You're, You're worth it. You're worth it. Because you have a lot of influence of all life around you. But water is your priority in life and we're going to bring it back to focus again. Today, we're really excited about um, the guest I'm going to have because it's also pertaining to the water. Charlie Schultz, he's out of Canada, and I heard about him. And he's going to be teaching us about commercial aquaponics, and I've been for this for years with my research, and I'm going to learn more today from Charlie Schultz. So I'm going to rush off to my sponsor, so I can get him on sooner because we are going to want every valuable moment with him. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, with just a mist of tissue culture grade of water. It's a pharmaceutical water that's been tested for 25 years. We own patents all over the world. We can announce now with a description of supplementing the tear film. Now, the tear film of your eye is the clear film that the nature gave you to protect you from water loss. But this tear film, aqua middle layer, is 99% water. What happens with vision impairment? What happens with allergies? What's happening with stress? It's dehydration of your eyes. With just a mist, nature's tears eye mist, you can replenish and supplement the atmosphere. We'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Charlie Show. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. 
all natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Charlie, are you with us? I am, Sharon. Thanks for inviting me. Well, thank you for joining us. I was really looking forward to having you on. And uh, I hope you have a, I'm going to date our show, but I hope you had a nice holiday and a wonderful Happy New Year, too. Absolutely. Looking forward to 2015. Yes, I am, too, Charlie, with my research and what I do, too. Tell the audience, you've been involved in aquaponics research. Correct. And how did you get started in that to start with? Because I like to get my guests in that corner because it seems like we all have something in common about how we get where we're going with research. But how did you get started in aquaponics? Yeah, I think so, too. It's a great question. And um, I was looking into your show a little bit and the power of water. I would say that um, really the um, the issue of water conservation and our precious uh, water resources on the planet is what drove me to um, the interest in aquaponics initially. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is early in the um, development of aquaponic systems um, in, in this era, um, I'd say around uh, the late 1980s, I started to get an interest in, um, in basically in, in my health and what I was eating. And I had switched my diets uh, to basically eating fish and birds at the time. I thought that was a healthy way to eat and conserve uh, resources on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, but back in the um, late 80s, as I had switched my diet to sea fish primarily, I started noticing how contaminated the oceans had become. And in the late 80s, we saw a, um, a few incidences where medical waste was washing up on the eastern seashore. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you remember from the time it was a result of hospitals on the eastern shore of the U.S. Yeah. would take yeah. their medical waste out to the deep oceans and they would dump it out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Um, so obviously, in this case, dilution is not the solution to pollution. And the medical waste just washed back onto our seashore, and we all got a drastic realization of how potentially contaminated our environment is. Mm-hmm. Even an open system like an ocean that a lot of us think is pristine and clean can mm-hmm. potentially be um, contaminated with all kinds of toxins. Right. So I kind of got, um, at that time, I got a light bulb over my head that says, mm-hmm. you know, I need to do something to, to grow fish for people to eat but I can't use our open environment, in my opinion, because of the potential for contamination. Mm-hmm. So I found a um, technology that's uh, popular now, what we call recirculating aquaculture systems, mm-hmm. where I was able to grow high-density fish populations in a relatively small amount of space in this new technology where we can recycle water and we can remove the fish waste effectively for other applications. So we can grow a lot of fish in a small space and keep good water quality for these fish. Um, so that was my um, initial introduction into the beginnings of aquaponics. 
So at the same time, I also was looking at uh, hydroponics as a way to grow plants while conserving water. And lo and behold, the fish water that I was culturing, um, primarily at that time was tilapia, was the perfect nutrient solution for growing plants using hydroponic methods. So I kind of put together my own head that I could link up my aquaculture systems with hydroponic plant production. And I started fooling around. This was at Virginia Tech, was the college I was at at the time, and started fooling around with aquaponics, and lo and behold, everything worked. It was just a perfect um, symbiotic relationship um, that showed I could certainly grow fish and plants together. Um, So at the time, again, early in the development of uh, this era of aquaponics, um, I like to tell people at that time there was no Internet, so it was very hard to find information on aquaponics. But I did uh, find one research group in the uh, Virgin Islands at the University of the Virgin Islands, and I kept up with their uh, research, and as soon as they offered a position, um, I had a plan to move to the Caribbean anyway, so I applied for the job, and I spent the next 14 years uh, working with the premier institution on aquaponic research at uh, St. Croix in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Well, you did have a light bulb. You did have a light bulb. Um, I had the same situation so far back in my uh, the light bulb of the water and the relationship that I personally had, and then the, the results today are technology around the world that I have now. Um, wanted to ask you, um, and I'm a believer of this. I was so excited because here in Southern Oregon, I was told about the people that are the couple that you're going to be visiting here soon, and we'll mention that soon here, but that they had started it, and I wanted them on as soon as possible because I'm an Oregonian, and uh, I've been around water all my life in the mountains and the fresh water and the moisture of the air and and the atmospheric, and then I started studying the atmosphere as water with a relationship of fresh water and dehydration of the human life and the planet's life. So Mm -hmm. I totally understand the future of what you're doing here and the long, oh, it's an enormous uh, industrial future uh, advantage, advantage for people to want to learn something new, to become mm-hmm. um, educated by yourself, to how they could begin to get into another business venture of hydroponics and aquaponics, uh, for uh, restaurants to have their own, let's say, uh, farming out in the back back of the restaurant and um, grow their own produce, grow have their own fish. Now, have you, before I forget this one, I noticed you'd used tilapia. Have you ever done it with any other fish other than tilapia? Yeah, we do quite a bit um, of different fish. Um, the, the idea with uh, growing hydroponic vegetables for the market, a right. lot of these vegetables are what we consider tropical vegetables. So your mm-hmm. conventional tomatoes and cucumber um, peppers and these type of things. These are all developed in um, in warm conditions. So when a, when a grower would like to either produce food for his own family or his community or even for the market in a commercial setting, primarily we're looking at tropical vegetables and tropical herbs um, as the as the commodity markets. And those little um, the lettuce, the lettuce, lettuce as well. Um, so most of these crops um, do tend to grow a lot faster and more are more productive in uh, what I call warm water, not necessarily hot water, but warm water. So um, oh, tilapia, yeah. go ahead. 
Go ahead. That tilapia so, is uh, ideally. So then you found, I'm glad you brought that up, is the temperature of the water normally is what? Um, typically in, um, uh, around 80 degrees for tilapia, okay. uh, 20, okay. 27, 28 degrees Celsius. Okay. So we're, and that's an that's a ideal temperature to grow tilapia um, okay. at, a, at a good rate if you're interested in growing a lot of fish. Uh-huh. Um, on the opposite, though, plants do like a little bit cooler than the tilapia would prefer. So mm-hmm. the tila- uh, plants, maybe 24 degrees is ideal. So depending on your goals, a farmer can produce a lot of fish if we keep the temperature up around 27, 28 degrees Celsius. Okay. Um, and at the same time, still get really good plant production. Mm-hmm. But a lot of, I see a lot of growers aren't so interested in commercially selling the fish. So they may have an aquaponic system that basically uses the fish as the heartbeat, or as I call it sometimes the compost um, machine, yeah. a nutrient generator. So we mm-hmm. could drop the temperature a little bit on tilapia if we're not looking for fast growth rates down to about 24 mm-hmm. degrees. They'll still eat well. They'll grow a little bit slower. But actually, mm-hmm. your plants will grow a little bit faster. Okay. And in a lot of commercial scenarios, uh, people are mm-hmm. making more money on the plants. Right. So it really depends on your goals and what you're trying to produce. Yeah. Now, on um, the, so, uh, to lo- uh, any of the fishes <clears throat> that you're growing in the fish water size, <clears throat> how big do some of those tanks get to grow the fish? Uh, again, it's, uh, it really depends on what your goal is. So um, a farm like you're talking about there in southern Oregon, the farming fish, um, mm-hmm. they probably harvest their fish anywhere from a pound and a half to two pounds, depending on the market. And with tilapia, one of the benefits is they could produce that fish in about 10 months. So mm-hmm. from an egg to 10 months, you've got a nice harvest-sized tilapia. Mm-hmm. Um, other people who don't cons- aren't concerned with selling their fish uh, they may choose koi, for instance, um, just an ornamental fish that they could keep in the tanks for years and years and years, never harvest these fish, but you're still feeding them every day. They're still generating nutrients. And I've seen systems that have 20-pound koi available um, if anybody wanted to purchase them. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, there's also a lot of other options that we start to look at as far as fish. Um, tilapia, there's for so many reasons, is the, the first fish um, to start with in aquaponics. A lot of people get their hands wet with, with tilapia because they're a hardy fish, they're disease resistant, um, they breed fast, um, easily, they make, so they make a lot of uh, offspring if, if you desire that. Mm-hmm. Um, their feed conversion ratio is very important um, consideration. I can feed um, a little over a pound of fish food to a tilapia and that fish will grow one pound. So it's almost perfect converter of feed to flesh, mm-hmm. which is very important when we're talking about feeding a, a hungry world and a growing population. Um, then we're starting to look at other higher values, um, warm water, fresh, uh, freshwater fish, like uh, barramundi is a new fish that we're starting to culture here in Alberta. Now tell um, me about, you know, I came from this, or this is Oregon, um, the yeah. River Valley in Oregon, uh, we've had fish around us. In fact, in front of my place here, in, my, in front of my home, they catch 40- and 50-pound salmon. Okay. And uh, we're, in a, we're in what's called a cavern. We're, one of the, we're the only cavern on the upper rogue, and they come in there, they nose in there, and I've been around fish all my life. So what is this new fish? I never heard of it. 
Well, the barramundi is a is it's not a new fish, but uh, it's a fish that originated in Australia. Um, uh-huh. It's got the same uh, water temperature requirements as tilapia. So again, it's warm water, and it's just the perfect nutrient solution for hydroponic plants. Wow. So it's a it's a higher value fish right now in the marketplace. The market for tilapia in a lot of regions has been saturated, and I can uh, with global competition right now, and primarily tilapia coming from China, and with a lot also coming from Central America. There's a lot of competition for, say, a farmer in Oregon to compete with mm-hmm. tilapia. Mm-hmm. Um, but I believe that this small farmer, this uh, family-owned operation, kind of like what you were talking about there at the Farming Fish, is a great model. Um, they mm-hmm. can still capture the niche of locally produced tilapia. They can inform the uh, customer about how they treat their animals, um, how they dispose of their effluent water, or how they reuse it. So tilapia still has a market, um, especially in these niche markets when people want local food and um, safe food is a big concern right now. So tilapia is always going to play a role in, in, in fish production, but we're starting to look at other species as well. So the barramundi is just a higher value species probably because of the supply is limited at this point. Um, some people say it's a little firmer, might have a better taste in their opinion than tilapia. So we're starting to look at other fish. Um, other um, warm water fish could include um, different types of basses, your largemouth bass. I've done some work with them in recirculating wow. systems. Wouldn't it be something Cat if you got fish. into bass? Wow. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then when you look, start looking into salmon and trout, there are examples of aquaponics using these fish, but typically these fish are colder water fish. Right. And so it's very hard to grow um, commercial varieties of vegetables with these fish. So we have to start to identify what potentially can we grow and how can we niche market some crops in cold water. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so what we are starting to work with a little bit here in Lethbridge is uh, we're looking at trout, and we will look at salmon in the near future, and we'll combine these with um, high-value crops like wasabi. It's one of the most expensive plants on the planet. So we can figure out this linkage to grow salmon and grow trout inland in freshwater recirculating systems and treat their waste using a high-value plant like wasabi, um, not only will the farmer make money, but we're doing the best for the environment possible. Right. Well, and, and you and I, obviously, you're in business too, but we, we're in a very philanthropic world of research, but everything has to pay, pay a, have a return potentially. Absolutely. And I, I'm excited about... I've had on the show organic farmers from South Dakota with thousands of acres and only four inches of rain, how they killed the soil per season to draw the moisture out of the air to be uh, providing the moisture necessary for a healthy agriculture. I've had on their greenhouse owners back east that didn't use the hydroponics or the aquaponics. They had greenhouses, uh, huge greenhouses, uh, growing for the restaurants and get, making sure the restaurants always had their produce and, and vegetables and things they needed that they could grow in the greenhouse. Then I came along and started hearing about hydroponics, aquaponics. I, 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 it's an enormous future. And, oh, absolutely, uh, absolutely. And it's unlimited. You, you, I, uh, my mind, and I've been studying water for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, my niche, my, my, what I decided to go after for my light bulb is I was very concerned about the dehydration effects of all life on Earth being affected because the atmosphere has changed. 
the water in the atmosphere right. is to keep you alive, Charlie. So exactly. when you look at hydroponics and you bring that recycling, and I, b- I believe in recycling, Mm-hmm. Because, Charlie, that's how Earth did it billions of years ago from the atmosphere. It began to, like a light bulb, too, when that sun came up, all of a sudden around the planet Earth, they began to recycle that water and became rainwater. And then all of a sudden, look where we've come billions of years later, millions of years later with water and the industry of water and the and technology of learning about water and its life in the water that can not only save the planet, save lives, and save the atmosphere, the breath of life, you're doing it. You're doing it. I agree 100%. And, um, and really, I've, I've been about like you. It's probably close to 30 years ago that I really pinpointed water issues around the planet. And as you know, at that time, water conservation was not on anyone else's mind. It's, it wasn't, no. a big, um, it no. wasn't a big issue. So when I started doing uh, aquaponics and, and touting around the world why I do aquaponics in terms of water conservation, I found that a lot of regions globally just weren't interested in conserving water. They had unlimited water as far as they were concerned. Um, but I knew it wasn't unlimited. And so the regions that aquaponics started were, one was St. Croix, the U.S. Virgin Islands. So this was a, an island that was 80 let me see, 27 miles long by 7 miles wide, and there was not a drop of fresh water on our island. Uh, we still had 60,000 people that lived on the island, but every one of those people relied on rainwater for their freshwater resources. Wow. Uh, we had a, a little bit of desalination plants that we could pump that water into some of the city um, sewers and uh, water supplies for showers and toilets. But if you needed any fresh water for farming or any food production, you had to collect that water from the limited amount of rainfall. We had no rivers, no streams, no creeks. And even if you dug a well, you were tapping into salt water. Right. So we all, we all learned basic water conservation techniques that mm-hmm. you hear about um, from your extension agents, from low-flow uh, showerheads mm-hmm. to collecting your, your rainwater to using your gray water for other purposes. So we, I was really taught about water conservation. Um, another region that aquaponics got its um, start was in Australia for the same reasons. Very limited freshwater resources, and we needed to grow food for people. So to grow fish and to grow vegetables, we had to use our water um, very conservatively. We had to reuse the water for other purposes. And so really that's why uh, aquaponics started in those, um, those drought regions. Charlie, we're going to take a moment. We only do this once with our sponsor. Don't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And we're going to come back and talk about what Australia is doing about that. And then we're going to talk about the other, like Singapore and uh, Orange County, California, the recycling of water and what you've been learning there, too. Because you definitely, uh, I'll call it your light bulb, Um, you you have a mission. And uh, you definitely, um, it's going to happen. People are going to listen uh, because... uh, I'll tell you about something else we're doing uh, other than our talk show here. I'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back, Charlie. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist with just a mist. Did you know the surface of your eye is 99% water, and it is a must. For your electrolytic ability, for your eyesight to have healthy vision, you need to maintain that 99% water. Slow down that water evaporation. It can be done with only one product. 
Nature's Tears Eye Mist with just a mist. And it's a tissue culture grade of water. It's a pharmaceutical grade water. It's tested for 25 years. We'll listen to our sponsor and we'll be right back with Charlie Schultz. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Charlie, just before our sponsor, we were talking about what you've had experiences in Australia and different countries, but in Australia, you found um, they were challenging the lack of water, too. And tell our audience, because we have uh, listeners from Australia, what were you learning? Um, great. Um, you know, I've, I've mostly worked with colleagues in Australia, and I've, um, I've worked a little bit in New Zealand, which is under the same conditions, basically. Right. Um, so, as you said, they're fighting the same water challenges that other regions in the world were fighting many, many years ago. And so they started uh, a big movement into hydroponics, um, both Australia and New Zealand. And if I could just clarify the basic definition, I typically consider the term hydroponics is a system that does recycle water, um, but it uses synthetic chemical fertilizers, which in my opinion is a limited resource on the planet, and we're going to see a change in that industry in the near future. Okay. versus what we call aquaponics. And aquaponics is generally combining aquaculture and hydroponics into one symbiotic system that really relies on a lot of uh, microbial life to function properly, just like a living soil. These are living systems. Um, so I do All like to make that distinction. that nature of itself. Exactly. So um, Australia and New Zealand really picked up with water conservation by adopting hydroponics as the technology to produce their own food. Um, as they saw prices for commercial fertilizers increasing, um, a lot of the uh, movement towards aquaponics in Australia came from small-scale homeowners who wanted to produce their own healthy food without using chemical fertilizers or pesticides. So they adopted um, aquaponics. They started learning techniques to grow fish and plants together in very small systems a lot of what you'll see on the Internet from the beginning was uh, using old bathtubs as the grow bed for your plants. 
And a lot of these are scavenged from, from landfills that otherwise would be waste products. So mm-hmm. we saw a huge movement on the small-scale grassroots movement to, to grow your own food in Australia. And it has mm-hmm. since stepped up into commercialization. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about China? I just got back from China, and, and I, I need to tell you in the world, I had the most wonderful visit with the people there, the scientists there, were just absolutely really receptive what I, I do in research. Uh, you've had to have a really exciting reception and intrigue with people and, and scientists in China too, Charlie. Uh, we have, and we've um, hosted uh, meetings in China, and the rooms are generally packed when you've got uh, aquaponic presentation. So a lot of China, from what I've seen, is kind of underground. I don't see it in the forefront too much. Um, but I have been hearing about larger systems, and they they tend to really want to go large into commercialization to feed a massive population. Um, they had the luxury of uh, low labor costs, low land and water costs. So a lot of situations, China can outproduce uh, a U.S. producer um, and, and ship and import into the U.S. at a cheaper price than our farmers. Say, for instance, again, the um, the farm you mentioned there in southern Oregon, they're, they're battling a lot of production costs that regions like China aren't, um, including regulatory issues, um, just cleaner, safer food protocols. So I, I really would like to stress to anyone around any region is to support your local growers right. because they're doing the right thing to save our planet. They don't have to be doing these techniques. They could be doing other techniques that are wasteful, but they're stewards of the earth. So if we can support farmers like that, um, buy their produce, buy local. The money stays local, as we all know. Now, Walmart, many years ago, I, I've got, I got to know some people that run Walmart at the top, and they were always, they said they were looking for those local farmers to, to have the food in clo- closer distance. And I'm yep. one that doesn't think you, you should always make sure your food that you're buying is not too, from for too far away. And That's right, uh, I really stress that to the audience, uh, t- that local farmers, local shorter distances is much safer for the food. And, and the quality of the nutrients, Charlie, the nutritional Absolutely. value is not gone. The longer that takes for that, nutri- that uh, food or whatever it is to get to your door, there's not hardly any nutrients left in it. That's right. And um, so I would like to remind people or maybe inform people that in the U.S. there is a law called a country of origin label. So on any of your seafood product, you can look on the label and it will tell you exactly where it comes from, which makes that decision a lot easier to make. Exactly. And I enjoy that. A lot of people say, oh, my gosh, that's more expensive to the, and and while we have, our company has products. And there's certain things I, I really enjoy to let our um, uh, people know the shelf life and what's happening and and, and that, that's education. You and I want people to be educated, and that's what we were saying in China recently. Education is so important. So people then, when they're educated, join in and participate with their everyday life. That's right. That's right. And the same uh, goes for the plants, the freshness of the plants here. I've had a few people um, I've worked with who want to get into the juice business or they're already in the health juice business and they're just not happy with the quality of produce that has to be flown in 
um, say, to Calgary, for instance. It's a week or two old before it gets here. So their focus is to set up an aquaponic system just to grow fresh vegetables that go straight immediately into the juice. Now I'm going to ask you something. Um, uh, Those are vegetable juices. You know, I've for years have thought about this. This is why I got excited about you being on here today, too. I've said to the world out there, someday in time, we're going to have greenhouses (coughs) with aquaponics, hydroponics all over the world so that they can grow the nutritional values of people's health is so necessary, not too far away in these enormous uh, greenhouses like you're doing. I'm a, I'm a believer that's coming. And it's because people need better nutrition. They need it closer to home. And there's nothing more nutritional than if, if, it, grew in, if it grew in the water. And then in other times of year when the seasons are right and ideal and correct, there could be other things grown out in the soil, the living species of the soil. But Absolutely. you're on the right track, and I hear now you're going around teaching that. I've actually taught for now probably 20 years. Um, I've mm-hmm. taught thousands, literally thousands, of either educators ah. or producers themselves. Um, mm-hmm. We've taught students from every continent on the planet, including Antarctica. Ah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's far and wide. Uh, there's a lot of really good resources on the Internet uh, currently, but there's also a lot of bad information on the Internet. Oh, yeah. um, so I, I do caution people to be careful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my, really the first thing I tell people is to identify your goals. When you, you, if you want to do aquaponics, what are your goals? What do you want out of aquaponics? What level of complexity? What level of production? And then depending on your goals, then I can steer somebody into a Well, I'm going to help direction. you with that. I'm a believer. I was asked to speak in a master's department in business one time. And, and the first thing I said to everybody, a business plan. Make exactly. that your best friend. And, and people look at you kind of like, well... You know, like maybe it's too far-fetched because I have to, you know, it might not happen. Well, but that's like research and development is in your business plan. You're deciding with study. You're studying to write the plan. You're studying how you write your first page, your second page, all the way down to the last page. And then you keep adding to your business plan as you learn. Um, We've had on here, and I want you to know this too. Um, Get this book. It's called... Mm -hmm. It's Andrew Sherman, Harvesting Intangible to Be More Valuable Intellect IP. Every single one of your harvesters should be in the IP business from day one with their business. I agree. Accumulating technology and development for values of what they're accumulating, even if they brought in one penny, that's accumulation to more values of the technology they're creating per location because everybody is going to learn something else and maybe not and it might add to the accumulation of values for other people to get into the business of what you're teaching but business plans and IP has to be involved in that business plan and that's value above what the dollar is bringing in for future yeah I will pick up that value. resource Yes. Um, and I, I can say the same. I, I usually tell people through our R&D at the university level, we, we know you can grow fish and plants. It's, that's not the hard part. And you can take a workshop. I teach workshops around the world, including one coming up in the spring in Oregon. And we can teach you how to do that. What it really takes is the business sense. It's all about marketing and it's all about your business. 
Well, when I started so, nine years ago, because we're only a company like it in the world doing what I do, darn it. <laughs> I keep hoping somebody out there, because, but anyway, uh, back to the whole thing. The first thing economists said to me in Manhattan is business plan, the business drives the sales. The sales don't drive the business. And business plans build IP values greater than your sales. So you've got your values have got to be built on the business plan, the say, uh, the uh, IP values and the technology you want to achieve and keep a, uh, tra- records of, good, solid records of discovery, proven discovery. The sales right. are adding to the beef, uh, to the table. And as they begin to go together, the sales are in the long run are not the, uh, as valuable as your technology because the technology will give you values if you decided to franchise, sell, or go out of the country or whatever you want to do. Countries yeah, that's don't, great insight. Countries will never protect your sales, but they do protect IP and technology. Exactly. If you've a file. I agree. Uh, so, but again, uh, back to uh, what you've been doing now, um, uh, the other thing, have, what do you know about Singapore? Have you been into Singapore at all yet with their recycling of their water? Yeah, I taught a, um, a workshop and uh, presented at a conference. I think it was around 2004. Um, uh-huh. This was a hydroponic conference, um, not mm-hmm. strictly aquaponics. And um, very interesting story there. This was um, early in the uh, development of aquaponics, and we were teaching workshops and uh, giving uh, scientific presentations for a crowd of hydroponic producers, all mm-hmm. chemical fertilizer-reliant um, producers and scientists. Mm-hmm. And we gave, uh, the three of us gave great presentations. And for the first time ever at a scientific conference, I had at the end a, a professor stood up and raised his hand, and he said that, he said, I see all your data, and I see all the statistics that were put into this work, and I see all your pictures, and I see these results, but we don't believe you. Because we, at that time, were a paradigm shift to their industry. We were telling people, you don't need synthetic fertilizers. You can recycle your water continuously. Um, and one of my colleagues, that's an aquaponic guru as well, um, stood up. Uh, he was at the front, and he said, I hear you. I hear what you're saying, but now it's your job to disprove us. And right. for the last 10 years, they can't disprove us because this works. Right. And it's the and future. Now, look it's at the way to full, go. Um, Singapore is in full control of their recycling of water. Exactly. I and agree. And look at so, San Diego. I had the head of the water department uh, in San Diego on the show with their recycling plan now. And I brought up to Singapore because I had been really harsh on, on the show with my state, the state of California that is so beautiful. The former Governor Brown, Charlie, in the United States, in the 60s, he and his legislature built those canals because they didn't want California to make mistakes and not protect their water. So they gave them the incentive with those canals. What did they do? They shut off the spigot for a little mini fish. Well, what did they, they should have looked at technology and futures to how to do that because look at the species of the soil and the species yep. of the aquifer water below. It's exactly. going, it's go, it's, they're going to become uh, the Middle East. So I yeah. kept saying, you know, California, you got, you're losing it down there. You're not realizing. Well, then all of a sudden, Charlie, I heard about Orange County, Southern California, recycling all their water. So I, got, mm-hmm. I saw it on CBS television at night here in the United States, um, 60 Minutes. 
So I got him on the show, and I said, tell me about what you were doing. So then all of a sudden, I had to apologize to California, because look what they're doing in California. Then I brought up the poster child of Singapore. He says, well, actually, yeah. Singapore came to them, and they've been doing it together all this time. And, and so the, t- the two of them are the poster childs of the rest of the world to how to recycle water. That's great. Um, another new development in California was uh, just this last year, they came out with tax incentive, incentives and tax breaks for hydroponic producers because they do conserve oh, water wow. resources. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's exciting. So I hope that trickles that, that down to aquaponics. <laughs> that was in California just this okay, past California. year. Okay, California. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I love your country. I love Canada. We have a big business up there with one of our products and uh, you've got a beautiful country there. Now, whereabouts in Canada are you located? So I, um, I work with Lethbridge College. Um, I was hired under a two-year grant as an aquaponic researcher. And we're mm-hmm. in southern Alberta, so it's about okay. two hours south of Calgary. Um, okay. Not too far above the Montana border. And okay. um, this was interesting. I, I really wanted to mention before we end our call a few of the obstacles towards aquaponics. Um, and really, it's what drove me here. Um, after spending 14 years in the Virgin Islands, and we proved that we can grow fish and plants, I'd say the only criticism there was we were in the perfect environment. We didn't have okay. to have a greenhouse, and we didn't have to heat the greenhouse, no supplemental lighting. So um, as my mentor, Dr. Jim Ricosi, who a lot of people consider the god of aquaponics, as he retired... Um, I, I saw that a good chance to step back into the States. I went to graduate school for a couple of years at Kentucky State University. And, but then I took this job at Lethbridge College. And the mission here is to see if commercial aquaponics is viable in a temperate climate like this. And, and really, mm-hmm. Oregon fits the bill, too. You mm-hmm. can't grow outdoors year-round in certain parts of Oregon. And we have to invest in greenhouses. And then we have to start heating greenhouses for year-round production and occasionally supplemental lighting for optimum lights during the year. There we go, so, the lighting. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, so can we do all this economically and still make money growing our fish and our plants or our technology? Um, so that's, I think the jury is still out, and that's what a lot of us are doing now, and there are pioneers mm-hmm. out there that are private mm-hmm. producers that are doing this already. But we have to look at the energy angle. How can we do this heating and lighting as efficiently as possible from renewable resources? And I think that's where the future of aquaponics is going. I'm going to put you on the carpet for a second with the moments that we have left with you. And if you don't want to answer it, fine. And if you don't know, what is your opinion on uh, solar and your opinion uh, on dealing with the planet and our solar system? I mean, Mm -hmm. our solar are uh, living with with the the rest of the so uh, of the universe. What is you? What do you? And then the windmills. What do you think that will do to um, change the environment of the atmosphere by trying to manipulate that? Other than doing it more, and, uh, I just I'm curious. What are you thinking? Well, I guess, I mean, we can look at um, any angle like that, but um, one thing I have to think about initially is, well, what are the alternatives? What are the future? We have to get um, this population secure and comfortable. So, so we have to come up with some uses of, of, of the environment. I feel like a lot of our energy production techniques are all part of the equation. I see benefits from just about every type of production. For instance, I fly on airplanes a lot to travel to meetings. 
there's not a lot you can do right now to travel without using fossil fuels. Um, and then we start looking at uh, solar. I think the solar um, technology has come a long way. It's going to rapidly increase, so it is affordable. Um, wind technology, the same. We're starting to see a lot more of that. But I do hear things about um, here in Alberta, we've got a lot of windmills that generate a lot of our electricity, and they're saying we're pulling that energy out of the environment, and it affects downstream or downwind, and it changes the climate. So I think we have to be very careful but, again, I think we have to take a little bit of every technology and use it to the best of our advantage. Um, but we have to improve um, every one of these technologies. It has to be cleaner and greener and have less impact on the environment. Mm-hmm. Now, we're going to have a new UN committee that they're working on for us um, to study with around the world. Um, just what you said, I'm really concerned about the freshwater level of, on the planet that's levels. The, mm-hmm. And and then the because the atmosphere is what started all this, right. and that's the recycling of uh, the future. If we've got to watch, be careful that we don't take the atmosphere and alter it we, uh, to a point where we can have no coming back uh, for some generations. We've got to take and look at Earth the way it did itself, the nature of yes. what it did to recycle. That's why I like the word recycling. Absolutely. Um, because the body, by the way, Charlie, the body is full of diseases today more than ever in history because we left that recycling plan behind. Uh, we've got to realize that that atmosphere is the recycling of your body's water and your body water living with the atmosphere. And uh, what is climate change? Maybe climate change is because we don't have enough fresh water on the surface as we once did. Mm-hmm. It's possible. And that the atmosphere is relating to that problem? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and so, and it's therefore, very hard I to come get. to the windmills. Could you, can, we do, can we learn to be moderate? Can we be, learn to build an eco-environment, ecosystem, a balancing act, like an algorithm? Right. The rhythm of the planet's rhythm of how we do it, too, as human species? Because we're, we're here to do it. We have a lot of light bulbs but we got to do it correctly and never be in a rush because if you get in a rush, you might put a postage stamp on something that shouldn't be there too quickly. Do you think I'm right a lot or wrong? Of, I do think you're right. I think a lot of the directions that we may be going is to what you may have heard as microgrids where we, have, we take care of a smaller group, a village or a home or a city um, that's not tied into the larger grid. Right. But I don't think that that's going to necessarily change what we've done to the um, atmosphere because then there's other regions that people just don't care about that right now, and they're short-sighted. So how to get 7 billion on the same page is very difficult. Right. Um, but we can all start at home or within our community. Gotta be with the rhythm. The rhythm. Exactly. How Earth did it. Now, we, we're going to, uh, we're, our show is, um, we're out of time, but how do they find you? Um, a quick way to find me is aquaponics at hotmail.com. Okay. And again, my name is Charlie. I'm very casual. You're welcome. Anyone is welcome to send an email to charlie at aquaponics at hotmail.com. Well, thank you and for being your... on. And I hope we can do this again one day because I really enjoyed every minute. And if I could put one plug to your local producer who was an ex-student of mine, um, the website is thefarmingfish.com. All right. Thank you for Olivia doing and Mike that. will help you out. Yep. Charlie, you have a nice day, and thank you for being on. 
Thanks for doing all you do, Sharon. We really appreciate it. Thank you it. for what you're doing, too, and that light bulb. I like that. Thank okay, you. Okay, dear. Bye-bye. You, you be well. Well, thank you for listening today. Um, embrace your life, every special moment, but always remember that that moment is somebody else's moment for generations to come. But Earth whispers the power of water. The power of water is our life. Remember to join all of us in that, what Charlie said too, the light bulb of thinking, you can do something. Everybody can do something. But do it for somebody else to leave yourself behind, that when you pass on, you have something behind for all the generations of children to come. I know that they will appreciate it. I want to thank you for listening, and you have a nice day, and you be well. Always remember the power of the water. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel with an encore Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com. Hour.com.